Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Good morning, Calvary Church. Good to see you guys. Great to be with you. If you have your Bibles, please turn to uh, Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And uh, if you listen to us on Grace FM and you're blessed by that, we'd love to hear from you. So that'd be sweet. But it's always a blessing to be here. And I want you guys to know, you are a church that is known all over the world for your kindness your generosity, and your love for Jesus. And you're known for that. One of the big reasons you're known for that is because you send your pastor out and your pastor wife out to go and minister to others. And, you know, Paul said this about Philemon, that wherever Philemon went, the saints are ref- were refreshed by him. And that's the way it is with Pastor Ed. God uses him, and I think he is uniquely called right now to minister to pastors and leaders who are are struggling, and uh, God just uses him in a big-time way. So I just want to say, because I've benefited from uh, his ministry, thank you for um, just being willing to send him out and allow him to be used in that way. So... um, Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, so um, who's excited about the Super Bowl? A little bit more than second or first service today. Um, Who's excited about Jesus? (laughs) All right. That's what matters, right? Doesn't matter, you know, who wins the Super Bowl. Now, if the Broncos were in it, would you guys be a little bit more excited about it? Or not really? Yeah, okay. All right. Sorry to bring that up. Um, (laughs) Chargers aren't in it either. So, um, but anyway. But you know, if you watch the Super Bowl today, you're going to see some athletes who are uniquely gifted to do things that most of us are incapable of being able to do. Just freak athletes. But you know what's interesting is in our call to follow Jesus, Jesus oftentimes asks us to do things that we are incapable of doing. That we can't do that. that things that, that on the surface seem absolutely impossible. But if we respond to those promptings of the Lord, If we respond to his word when he's calling us, commanding us to do something, we learn and we experience a powerful biblical principle. And this is it, that God's commandments are God's enablements. Let me hear you say that with me. God's commandments are God's enablements. And we're going to see a story today where this actually plays out. And if we can grab a hold of this truth and really walk in it, it can radically change 
your Christian experience. It can, in, in, it can change your, your life in an incredible way. Because here's the thing. For those of us who have walked with the Lord for a while, and those of us who have been a part of a great teaching church like this one, and we've been a part of it for a while, and we know the word, and we know the truth, oftentimes we can find ourselves in a place where we begin to kind of grow indifferent to the fact that God is for us, and he loves us. That we lose that sense of awe and wonder that Peter would say, he has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of his son. And sometimes we can lose sight of that and we can find ourselves just kind of going through the motions in our Christian walk. I have three children, three adult children, three grandchildren. But my daughter, Amy, she's my oldest daughter. When she was younger, she had this beautiful, amazing curly hair. And everywhere we went, people would comment and compliment her on her beautiful hair. We would be in restaurants sometimes, and people would be pointing across the restaurant at our table, and we knew what they were saying. Look at that little girl's hair. We even had some people walk up to us. Now, she's like four or five, and they would walk up to us, and they would say, we just have to ask, is that real or a perm? Like we're going to perm a four-year-old's hair, right? Like, come on. Well, my daughter became grew so used to hearing these compliments that she kind of grew indifferent to it. So one day she's with me. We're in the supermarket. She's, she's in the cart. This guy's ringing up our groceries, and he just stops, looks at my daughter and says, little girl, you have beautiful hair. And Amy just sits there like, I've heard this so many times before. I mean, that's the look that's on her face. She's like five. And I say, Amy, what do you say to the man? She looks at this guy and very politely says, thank you, you have nice hair too. The guy was completely bald. <laughs> Didn't have a hair at all, right, you know? But she was doing the right thing. She's going through the motions. She's paying a compliment with a compliment. But it really didn't, it wasn't really true. Because I didn't have any hair, right? You know? <laughs> and you know, if we grab a hold of this principle, that God's commandments are God's enablement, it will keep us from being people who are going through the motions. People that are just kind of cruising in our spirituality. And we will live in the realm of on a regular basis of saying, God, what do you want to do with me today? What do you want to do with me this week? What truth are you calling me to walk in? Because I believe that your commandments are your enablements. And we're going to talk about that today. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they, they are the religious leaders, watched him, they watched Jesus closely. 
whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out immediately and plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this incredible story that really puts forth this amazing biblical principle that your commandments are your enablements. Lord, I pray right now that you by your Holy Spirit might stir our hearts, that you would give insight and application as to what this means and what this is to look like in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, there's four things I want us to consider from this story. The first thing I want us to consider is this man. This man with the withered hand. The word withered speaks of his hand being shriveled up, of his hand being sort of deformed, if you would. And because of this, his life would have been affected on several levels. It would have been affected, first of all, physically and vocationally. The historian Jerome tells us that there's a, a lot of good evidence that this man, prior to this injury, was a stonemason. That's how, that's how he made his living, working with stone. But there was an accident, and in the accident, it caused his hand to become withered and deformed. And so that would affect his life physically and vocationally, that he would no longer be able to uh, work. It, he would no longer be able to take care of his family financially and take care of their needs. And so, so he was affected on a physical level, a vocational level, but he also would then be affected on an emotional level. You think it's true that most men get a sense of worth in what they do, in their job, and also in the fact that they know that God has called them to take care of their families. And so they get a sense of worth in being able to do that. But when a man goes through something that causes him to no longer be able to do that, it can be really discouraging. It can be depressing. In 2020, February of 2020, my dad passed away at 87 years old. And my dad was an amazing man, lover of Jesus, and he was the type of man who took just great pleasure in taking care of his family when he worked and then later on when he retired. He was the kind of guy that would show up at your house always with a screwdriver in his back pocket. You know somebody like that? And he would walk around, you know, he's looking at doors, just checking anything needs to be tightened up. And that's just how my dad was. He just enjoyed doing that. He enjoyed, you know, helping me with different projects and things like that around the house. Well, here he is. He's really, really sick. He's been in the hospital three times. And now he's at this place. It's a couple weeks before he's going to pass away. And he's bedridden. And I would go over to his house, I would climb into bed with him, and I'm laying there with my dad, and he says to me, he says, hey bud, is there anything that you need me to do? 
Any, anything you're working on at the house that you need my help with? And I'm like, Dad, it's like you, you can't even get out of bed. But, but that's where he was at. About 10 years prior to that, he had had a stroke that limited him physically. And it was so discouraging for him to not be able to do the things that he used to be able to do. And I'm sure this man would have felt that way. And I want you to kind of put yourself in his shoes, to kind of step into the story here and imagine this man with this withered hand. His life has been affected physically, vocationally, but also emotionally. I mean, think about how that would play out, him not being able to do things around the house and helping his wife like he used to. Or if his son comes along and says, hey, dad, can, can we play catch? And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, you can't do that anymore. Or, hey, can you help me carry this into the house? Oh, sorry, you can't do that anymore. So this man, he would have been affected vocationally, emotionally. But I want you to notice where this man is at. He's at church. And that's the best place to be when you're hurting. You know that? In fact, it's been said that when you least feel like going to church, that's when you need to go the most. Because God has something for you. He has a word for you. He has something that he wants to work into your life. And I believe that is a word for somebody here today. Second thing I want you to notice, though, is these legalistic religious leaders. Notice verse 2. It says, So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might rejoice. No, it's not what it says. It says that they might accuse him. Now, I think this says a lot about Jesus that these guys knew. They knew that Jesus was always drawn to the person in the room that had the biggest need. And so they're watching. Here's this guy. They know he has this withered hand, but they're like, let's see. Let's see if Jesus is going to touch him and heal him or not. And the issue would be is that these men being legalists were more concerned about their rules and regulations than they were with people. And because it was the Sabbath, they believed that to heal somebody on the Sabbath would be considered work. And they said on the Sabbath, God said, you're to work six days and the seventh day is to be a day of rest. Keep the Sabbath or honor the Sabbath and make it holy. And isn't it interesting that in God's top 10, he laid aside a day to say, look, I want you to work six days, but the seventh day rest, and let that just be a day dedicated to me and a day of rest for you. That's amazing. But here's what happened. The religious leaders took this day that God had intended to be a day of rest for his people, and they turned it into a day of burden. And here's how they did that. They took the Ten Commandments, and they took what God laid out as the, the ceremonial law for the people of Israel. And they wrote a book that was called the Talmud. And the Talmud was a commentary, an explanation on what it meant to keep those laws. So God said, I want you to take one day off in seven. And they wrote a book where they devoted, get this, 24 chapters as to what that meant. God gives a simple command, and they're going to write 24 thick chapters on what that meant. They had 39 different violations and a host of categories that went along with those violations. And so according to the Talmud, 
on the Sabbath day, all work was forbidden, and to heal somebody was considered work. And the Talmud was very, very detailed about this, that medical attention could be given, this was their big idea in the Talmud, it could be given only if a life was in danger. Now here's some examples of what they had written. A woman in childbirth might be helped on the Sabbath. An infection of the throat might be treated. If a wall fell on anyone, crushing them, enough of the debris could be moved aside to see if the person was still alive. And if they were still alive, you could pull them out and help them. But if they were dead, you had to just leave them there until tomorrow when the Sabbath was over. That's how crazy it was. A fracture, they said, could not be attended to. Cold water could not be poured on a sprained hand or foot. A cut on a finger or on your leg could be bandaged with a plain bandage, but not with any ointments, because that would be healing. So you can cover it up until the next day, then you can apply the ointment. The rule was basically this, an injury could be kept from getting worse, but it must not be made better. So these religious leaders, they're watching this man. They're watching Jesus. They're expecting that Jesus is going to do something. But they're only concerned about their rules and regulations. Let's just see. If he heals him, then we've got him and we can accuse him. It reminds me of that story in John chapter 5. When Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda. You guys know that story? And there's all these people, it says a multitude of lame and sick and blind are laying around the pool because they believe that when the water would get stirred up, the first one in would get healed. And Jesus comes and he finds a man who's been lame for 38 years. And he says to that man, hey, I'm going to heal you. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And that guy immediately was healed. His legs strengthened. His legs were restored. He gets up. He takes up his mat and he puts it on his shoulder and he starts cruising about. And the religious leaders see him and they say, hey, why are you carrying your mat? Don't you know it's the Sabbath day? And, and this man says, well, the guy who healed me, the guy who made me whole, told me to take up my mat and walk. And instead of saying, really, you were healed? That's amazing. Tell us your story. They say, tell us who's the guy that told you to do that because he's in trouble too. That's how legalists operate. They're only concerned about their rules and regulations. So here they are. They're watching Jesus. They're watching to see if he's going to heal this guy. Breaking the law of the Talmud, but not the word of God. And that brings us to point number three, the wisdom of the son of man. Look at verse three. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. Now here's what I want you to notice. If you look back into chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus has already had a discussion with these guys about this. So let's look at that. It says, now it happened that he went through the grain fields, talking about Jesus on the Sabbath. And as he, they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. So the disciples want a little snack. They're walking through the grain fields. They grab some wheat. They put it together in their hands and they get a little snack out of it. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So in their minds, plucking grain was working, and so they were breaking the Sabbath. Notice how Jesus responds, verse 25. 
But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the priest, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to be to eat except for the priest. And he also gave some to those who were with him. Now, verse 27 is key. And he said to them, you guys have it all wrong. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, hey guys, you've got this all wrong. The Sabbath was made for man. It was today to be this day of rest and this day of enjoyment and refreshment for man. But you've made man for the Sabbath. You've turned this day that God meant to be a day of blessing into a day of burden. You've got this all wrong. And by using this story of David, Jesus is putting forth a very important principle. And the principle is this, because David is, you know, running from Saul. He goes to where the priests are. He's hungry. He needs something to eat. He takes the, the priest, gives him the showbread, which was only to be eaten by the priest. And here's the principle that Jesus is illustrating. Human need always supersedes religious ritual. Human need always supersedes religious ritual. And here's the thing we need to understand is that when religious ritual ignores human need, it's always wrong. So Jesus is explaining to these guys about what the Sabbath was really for. But then he, I want you to notice that Jesus says to the man there in verse 3, with the withered hand, he calls him to do something. He says, I want you to step forward. So he's calling this guy out of the crowd, and he's putting him front and center, okay? Think about that. That would be like me today. What's your name, brother? Colby? If I said, Colby, get up out of your seat and come stand right here. I'm drawing him out. So Jesus is, is taking this guy. He has him to step forward, and he's putting his weakness, his deformity, right out in view of everybody. Why would he do that? To be honest with you, I really don't know. But I'll tell you this. God does that to us all the time. God often calls our, us in our weakness to come front and center. And the reason why he does that is because he wants to work in the midst of our weakness. Like Paul the Apostle said that he discovered that God's grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. So God sometimes will call us front and center so that our weakness is on display so that his grace and power can be seen and he can be glorified. That all of our lives are a platform upon which God wants to be glorified because that's why we exist. We exist for him. So Jesus calls this man front and center. And then Jesus gives this man a powerful command. And this is going to be this is our fourth point in our focus the rest of our time today. Jesus says to this man, stretch forth your and I want you to think about this. Guys, front and center. Stretch forth your hand. Jesus is asking this man to do something that he is incapable of doing. His hand is all shriveled up. He can't stretch it forth. 
His hand is all deformed. Jesus is saying to him, stretch forth your hand. The word withered speaks of being shriveled up or deformed in some way. And so some people would think that Jesus asking this guy to stretch forth his hand would be like cruel. Like, why are you doing that? Jesus, why are you asking? You know he can't do that. I mean, it would be like asking a blind person to look at a picture. Like saying, hey, look at that picture. And if you heard somebody do that and it's to somebody who's blind, you'd be thinking like, what's wrong with you? Can't you tell they're, they're blind? They can't look at the picture. That's cruel. Some people might see that, look at Jesus in that way. But I want you to notice this, what this man does. He could have argued. He could have said, that's easy for you to say, look at my hand. I can't stretch it forth. He could have argued why he was unable to do what Jesus was asking, but he didn't. Instead, he simply obeyed. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He simply said, okay. And as he stretched forth his hand, as he obeyed the Lord, his hand was made whole. It wasn't made whole before. first. It was made whole as he took that step of faith to stretch forth his hand. And this reminds us of this beautiful and wonderful biblical principle. That God's commandments are God's enablements. That when God speaks, power is released. And if you can grab a hold of this simple concept, the Word of God will become extremely exciting to you. Now, if we look at just ourselves, and we see these commands in the Word, and we're just focused on us, they can seem impossible. They can seem unreasonable. They can seem like, well, man, I know God's calling me to do that, but, but I can't do that. But when I see that there is power, the power of God is actually behind the command, then it becomes very possible and reasonable. There was a woman who was in the hospital. Her pastor came to visit her. And as he was visiting her there in the hospital, she asked her pastor, she said, pastor, see my Bible there on the table by my bed? Would you, would you pick it up and read it to me? So the pastor picked up the Bible, began to read it to her, and he noticed on certain pages that there would be, next to certain verses, a T. And after, after, next to other verses, there would be a T and a P. And, and so he said, hey, why do you have these T and these T's and P's in your Bible? And she said, well, every single time I see a promise of God in my Bible, I write T next to it that I'm going to try that. I'm going to grab a hold of that, and I'm going to walk in that promise. And then when I see God meet me in that moment, I put a P next to it for proven that this promise in my life has become tried and proven. And in doing that, God's word became so incredibly alive to her. Something that became, in a sense, an adventure of like, okay, what promise does he want me to walk in now? You know, years ago, there was a men's movement that was birthed out of Colorado here. Coach McCartney, the promise keeper movement. Great movement that God used in a lot of incredible ways, still is using. 
And it was based on, you know, getting these men together in these stadiums to basically make a vow that they were going to be promise keepers, that they were going to hold to, you know, keep their promise and their vows to their wife and to God. And and it's awesome, wonderful. God used that in an incredible way. But I got to tell you this, there's been a lot of promises over the years that I have made to God that I haven't kept. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've done that, right? And so I like to say, That it's not so much about us being promise keepers, but it's believing in a God who keeps his promises. Because although I have broken some of the promises I've made to God, God has never broken a promise that he's made to me. Yeah, you can clap about that. So I like to say God wants us not so much to be, you know, focused on being promise keepers, but promise believers. And when I believe in the promises of God, I can say, okay, I'm going to try this and I'm going to walk in this. And then I see how God is faithful and how God's commandments are his enablements and he works in my life. And then these things that I used to think just would be impossible become not just possible, but probable. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Maybe you're here today and you've been feeling really depressed of late. You've been really, really discouraged. And you've said, you know, I've been prayed for. I've read different self-help material. I've tried the various techniques and It just doesn't matter. I'm just still discouraged. Maybe you're in that place today. The word of the Lord for you today is simply this. It's 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16. Here's his command. Rejoice evermore. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's his word. You're discouraged. Hey, rejoice evermore. Now, here's the thing. You can argue, you can give 101 reasons why you can't rejoice. Or you can simply say, if the word tells me to rejoice evermore, I'm going to start rejoicing. I am going to rejoice. I'm going to stop focusing on what is wrong, and I'm going to focus on who God is and what He has done in my life. I'm going to stop focusing on what He's not doing, and I'm going to start focusing on what He has done and what He is doing, and I am going to rejoice. And the minute that you take that step of faith to say, okay, I'm going to believe God at His Word, I'm going to step forth in His command, and I'm going to rejoice He's going to meet you in that moment with his power and with a sense of a renewed reason for rejoicing in him, even when you don't feel like it. Or what about this one? Maybe God has been calling you to step out in faith in some way. To take a step of faith into service or into ministry or being involved in some way. And, and you've been, you know, finding yourself just making excuses. Well, you know, I, I can't talk. Moses tried that one, you know. 
or I'm too young. Timothy tried that one. Or I'm too old. Others have tried that one. And we can, we can make all these excuses of why we can't do or we feel like we're incapable of doing the very thing that God is calling us to do. Remember when the disciples of Jesus were out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee? It's the midst of a storm, and there's, you know, the wind and waves are crashing over their boat, and here comes Jesus walking out on the water. The very storm that was over their heads, making them feel like they were going to sink, was under his feet. Their storm was his sidewalk. And again, I think that's a word for somebody here today that the Lord wants you to know that your storm is under his feet. It might feel like it's over your head, but it's under his feet. So Jesus comes walking out and the disciples are freaking out because they think it's a ghost. And Jesus says, hey, it's not a ghost. It's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to get out of the boat and come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come, come, Peter, come. And what happens? Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. It was a miracle. Now, could Peter have done that on his own? Could Peter have said, that's Jesus, and I'm going to go out to him on the water? He would have sunk. He ended up sinking anyway because he took his eyes off of Jesus. But Jesus said, come. And in that very command to come was the power to walk in the miraculous in that moment. Because God's commandments are God's enablements. Maybe you're struggling today with bitterness or unforgiveness. Some of you are thinking, you're getting a little too personal right now, Pastor Rob. What's the word of the Lord for you today? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. What's his word? You forgive because I have already forgiven you of so much. Now again, you could come up with a thousand reasons why you can't do that. Or why you shouldn't do that. Or why you are justified in holding on to your bitterness and your unforgiveness towards somebody who has wronged you. Or you can say, if the Lord tells me to not be bitter and to forgive, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe that God's commandments are God's enablements. And today I'm going to stretch forth my withered hand and forgive and speak what is right. Now, here's the thing, though, about forgiveness. The big mistake that we make about forgiveness is we think that forgiveness is a feeling. So sometimes we can work ourselves up or we hear a message and it convicts us and we're like, okay, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to just, you know, my heart, I'm going to forgive that person. We go to bed that night and we feel like this burden, this tension has been lifted and we feel just at peace. But then we wake up in the morning and we're angry all over again. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's happened to me. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's an action. It's something we're called to walk in. To walk in the steps of forgiveness. And I like to say that forgiveness only takes one, me. 
Forgiveness is about me and my heart before the Lord. The reason why God warns us about roots of bitterness and about unforgiveness is he knows that those are things that can poison our hearts and strip the joy and the life right out of us. And so God says, hey, I want you to forgive because you've been forgiven so much and I want you to be forgivers because I'm calling you to be like me. So forgiveness only takes one. It's about me and my heart before the Lord. Bringing that situation, that person, and just saying, Lord, I'm I'm giving this to you. I know you died for that sin that was committed, and I'm just, I'm giving this to you. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to walk in this. And it becomes a, a daily thing that we have to practice. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation, though, takes two. Because reconciliation is predicated upon repentance, And so sometimes where there's no repentance, there can be no reconciliation, but there should still be in my heart forgiveness. Because I'm not going to allow that person who's wronged me to get the best of me. I'm not going to let that that bitterness destroy me. There was a woman by the name of Mary Johnson. Mary lived in Chicago, still does. And one night her 20-year-old son was shot dead at a party by a 16-year-old boy. Mary's a Christian, but her heart was filled with so much anger and hatred toward this young man that took her son's life. And she thought to herself, she prayed, I hope they try him as an adult and he gets the maximum sentence. And sure enough, the day of the trial came, they tried him as an adult and he got the maximum sentence. And she was so happy. And she thought that that news was going to take care of her grief and her anger, but it didn't. Her hatred for that young man continued to just grow like a weed inside of her heart, and it was overcoming her, and she realized, I've got to forgive him in the same way that Jesus has forgiven me. I've got to. So she began to just daily give that to the Lord. Lord, I want to forgive him. Lord, I'm forgiving him. I'm applying the cross. I'm realizing you, you paid the price for him. But she got to a point where even in her heart, she was you know, feeling so much better. And she really, truly, it felt like she had forgiven this young man. But she thought, you know what? I need to tell him face to face that I've forgiven him. So she went to the prison to visit this young man. And she was waiting there for him to come out. And as they met, they both began to cry. And this young man was so sorry and so repentive and and just so in grief of the mess that he had made of his life. And he begged her for forgiveness. And and she told him, look, I've already forgiven you, but I want to just tell you face to face that I forgive you. She was so touched by how sorrowful this young man was that she began to go back and see him on continued visits. When that young man got out of prison, she arranged for him to live in a house right next door to her. She calls him today her adopted son. And they have a ministry now, the two of them, going out and speaking and bringing comfort and encouragement to mothers who who have been Their children have been the victim of a violent crime whose lives have been taken, and also mothers who have sons who have been the perpetrators. 
And God is using them, especially in that Chicago area, in a big-time way. Now, here's the thing. Mary could not have done that on her own at all. She didn't have it within her, but she believed in this principle that God's commandments are God's enablements. And so she moved in that direction and God met her with his power and the ability to walk in that reality. I'll give you another one. Maybe you're here today, you're really burdened and you've been carrying just this burden Whatever, something going on in your life that just has you burdened. What's the word of the Lord for you? It's 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God is saying, give it to me. That's my commandment. Give it to me. And you know that word casting is a very demonstrative word. It's the idea of just literally throwing it over, just handing it over. The Lord gave me kind of an interesting picture of this years ago. I was on my way one morning down to San Diego. I live in North County, San Diego. And so I was going downtown actually to the the naval base where I was going to be doing a funeral for somebody in the military. And the traffic, which sometimes it can just be horrendous, was, was just gridlock. It wasn't moving. And I'm thinking, this is horrible. I am going to be late for this funeral. And you never want to be late to a a funeral, especially though a military funeral, because it's disrespectful and they carry guns. So you don't want to be late to that, right? So I'm in the fast lane and I get behind this guy who has all these Christian bumper stickers like all over his car. So it's obvious like this guy, you know, at least professes to be a believer. And every single time the traffic would stop, this guy would go like this. And the traffic would start to move. And this verse popped in my mind, casting all your cares upon the Lord. Traffic would stop. He'd go like this. It starts to move. So I started doing it too. (laughs) You know? All right, let's get it go. I got there on time, you know? (laughs) But here's what we so often do. God says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. That's my command. And we say, okay, God, here it is. We lay it at his feet. But before we leave, we pick that backpack of burdens up again. We put it on our shoulder and we carry it ourselves. And some of you are carrying it right now. And God is saying to you, give it to me. This is my word for you today. Cast it upon me. One more. Maybe you're struggling today with some form of addiction. Drugs, alcohol, pornography. And you've been struggling, you've been feeling like, you know, man, I've been trying to have victory in this. Here's the word of the Lord for you today. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 11. God says, reckon yourself dead unto sin, but alive to Christ. It's grabbing a hold of the reality that God says that in Christ you are a new creation. You are dead to the old man. You are dead to your flesh, but you've been made alive in Christ. So walk in that. Believe that. Grab a hold of that. What does that look like? You go home and you pour the booze down the sink. You go home and you flush the stash down the toilet. You go home and you throw away the videos or whatever it might be. 
Because you're saying, I'm believing that my old man has been rendered inactive. That it's no, I'm no longer under his power. That I have victory over the flesh. That God has made me alive in Christ. I'm going to believe that and I'm going to walk in that. And guys, we could go on and on and on, but I'm going to stop here. I'm going to say this. Every single one of us in this room, all of you watching online, we are all withered in some area of our lives. I tell our church all the time, none of us have arrived. We are all a group of broken people who are in the process of transformation by a loving Redeemer. That's all of us. All of us are in a place where we are withered in some way, and the Lord would say to you today, stretch forth your hand. Give me your witheredness. Give me your brokenness. And as you do, because my commandments are my enablements, I'm going to meet you in that moment with my power and my strength and my victory to help you walk in that way. And it's really that, that, it's really that simple, but it's not that easy. You know why? Our flesh rebels against this. Our flesh loves to make excuses. Our flesh wants to rationalize our sin. Our flesh has the tendency to say things like this, I'll rejoice when I stop feeling depressed. Or I will forgive when my bitterness goes away. Lord, take away my bitterness. Or I will love my spouse when God takes away my anger. Lord, take away my anger. Or I'll quit using when my craving for that particular thing goes away. So Lord, take away my craving for this addiction. And the Lord would say to us, you have this all backwards. I'm giving you a command to walk in a new way of life. And in that command is the power to carry out the commands. And the very thing that you're desiring to take place in your life is going to take place as you take the step of faith in obedience to what I'm saying in my word. When Jesus said to this guy, stretch forth your hand, again, he wasn't healed until he stretched forth his hand. And as he stretched forth his hand, as he walked in obedience to the command, God met him in that moment and healed him. So once I quit saying I can't, once I quit arguing with the Word of God and saying it's just not that easy, some of you are doing that right now, once I start, stop saying, well, I'm just the exception to the rule, my situation is just different, you know, I know God's Word says this, but my, my situation is different, once we quit doing all of that, instead say, Lord, if you say it, I'm going to do it, period, He meets us there, and a miracle takes place in our lives. Maybe you're here today, and you're not a Christian, and you are sitting in your boat of pride, and just thinking, I don't need Jesus. My life is great. That's for weak people. I've had people tell me that. Or maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian, or you're you know, watching this, and you're sitting in your boat of religion. You're thinking that, you know, what, what do I need to do? And, or if I can just be good enough, then God will accept me. You can't be good enough. If you could be good enough, Jesus wouldn't have had to come 
and die. Maybe you're in that boat of feeling like, I just need to clean up my act. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord and, and, and you're in that place where you feel like, I just need to get things right and then, then I can come back to Jesus. Or maybe you're in that boat of shame where you feel like, I've just blown it too much and I can't come back. That voice of condemnation from the devil. That's always what the devil says. Is He wants to condemn us and say, you blew it too bad this time. God will not accept you. But listen, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Listen, no matter where you're at today, the simple word of Jesus. It's the same thing that he said. No matter what boat you're in, same thing he said to Peter, come. It's the great invitation. It's Matthew chapter 11, there in verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the great invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Yoke yourself to me. Learn of me. You know, the yoke was that wooden device that they would put across two oxen to tie them together so they could plow the field. Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to yoke yourself to me. I want you to learn of me and my word. And as you do that, as you begin to discover that there is my power is in my word that the commandments are your enablement. You're going to find that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that word easy, you know what it means? It means well-fitting. You're going to find that this life that he calls us to, it fits perfectly because we've been made to live in relationship with God. To know him, to walk with him, and to experience on a daily basis his power his grace working through our lives to help us do things that we never ever thought that we would be able to do until we believe that his commandments are God's enablement. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this time today. I thank you for this third service here. I thank you, Lord, for or the second service, third service from yesterday. Lord, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for this group. And Lord, we thank you so much for this principle, this biblical truth that your commandments are God's enablement. And I pray for all of us here in this room, all of us watching online, that we would grab a hold of this, that we would begin to experience you in a more powerful way this week as we are reading our Bibles as we are hearing truth, that we come across something that you're calling us to do, that we would simply just step out and say, God, I'm going to believe. I'm going to try this promise, believing that your commandments are your enablements. I'd like us right now just to remain in this attitude of prayer. Your head bowed and eyes closed. And I think there's some of you here today that you are in a place that some way you are withered. There's something in your life. There's a burden that you've been carrying. There's something that you've been struggling with. 
There's a step of faith that God has been calling you to that you've been reluctant to take that step. And I want to encourage you today, right now in this moment, as an act of obedience to the Lord, an act of saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand on your promises. I'm going to stand on this truth that your commandments are your enablements. And I'd like you just right now to acknowledge that. To say, yeah, I'm withered. Or yeah, I'm struggling. Or yes, I'm carrying this burden. By right now, just in this moment of faith, you stretch out your hand. Just stretch it out. Just stretch it out to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I'm stretching out. I'm applying this. I'm stretching out my withered hand. I'm stretching out my withered heart. I'm stretching out. I'm giving you this situation. And Lord, I want to today to begin to walk. Just stretch out your hand. Father, I pray for those here in this room with their hands outstretched. That God, you would meet them right now in this moment. As they leave here today, as they walk into whatever situation that it is that they're going to be walking into, that they would do so expecting you to work because your commandments are your enablements. And Lord, I also pray for anybody here that has maybe walked away from you, anybody here that doesn't know you, that, Lord, they would simply today in their heart make that decision to just say, Lord, I'm going to come. Believing that you died on the cross to pay the price for their sins. That you rose again to give them life. Lord, for those that have been trying on their own in religion or self-effort, that they would be done with that and they would simply say, Lord, I'm going to come. I want to come. I want to give my heart to you. I want to yoke myself to you. I want to discover life in you. And just call out to him. Give your heart to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.